uh, Tupolev 141 that crashed just outside of Zagreb in March. And uh, that's kind of how we, we got on to this. Previously, we were talking about how to get drones out of the sky, um, you know, the, the both fixed wings and quadcopter ones uh, to the use of machine guns, jamming equipment, etc. Um, so really anything you'd like to touch upon to do with drones, I think uh, all of it would be exceedingly well received. Yeah, so... You know, it really depends on the drone. There's many different uh, many different drones out there. Uh, there's some drones that have logic uh, incorporated in them that if they get jammed, uh, they can revert to an autopilot kind of fine. If they know that it's jamming, if they can recognize that the, uh, let's say, the, the commands that are being received don't make any sense or uh, will make it crash, it can ignore those commands and basically go what's called lost link. Uh, and basically go on a pre-planned autopilot function to fly itself back to some place. Obviously, those are um, a little uh, a little expensive. <laughs> uh, you need to be losing your uh, Yeah, are you there? Yeah, sorry, you just vanished for about ten seconds, and we were a bit confused. That's okay. Just carry on. Okay. Um, yeah. So, if it's a more of a commercial. Um, hey, uh, Colonel just, Jeff. Yeah. You're, so when you start to talk, um, it goes silent for about 10 seconds, and then we can hear like the, the five seconds at, uh, of the end of it. So I'm not, I, maybe it's the Wi-Fi or, or it could be the, the signal. I'm not sure, but we can hear, it goes silent, and then we can hear the end of what you're saying. Uh, I, don't, I don't have a good signal. Um, uh, when I get home later today, I can probably cover this as the best answer. Whenever you can, we'll be so happy to have you back. Yeah, no, for sh- for sure, and I- I'm kind of sad that uh, I'm kind of you sad that the signal's not good right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, but no, I really, we really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Colonel. Well, that was a and, pleasure uh, to get uh, Colonel Jeff up here. Absolutely, and I will make sure to uh, to ask in detail what he knows about the the Tupolev and Zagreb as well. Um, I, all I know is that the Croatian authorities were very displeased with it having overflown to. NATO airspaces before that and nobody took it down and they were probably quite displeased with the Croatian own air defenses for not having dispatched this very large, heavy fast flying object Um, I I was going to say the funny thing about that was when, you know, because the wording that the reporters are reporting or even the initial reporting used uh you know i think i believe they used uav um so in my head i was laughing because i'm like that that's not what they're thinking that's a big hulking you know a a very large older drone uh so no one's thinking about weight you know and i don't even know the weight on it but if i had to guess i'd say that it's 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 at least two thousand pounds like i could be wrong but i mean but just you know, an order of magnitude larger than someone being like, "Oh, your uh, your Orlan ten just ended up in Croatia." Like, no, 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 that was uh, something much, much larger. So, Wikipedia now, right? Wikipedia says gross weight uh, six thousand two hundred kilograms, almost fourteen thousand pounds. Yeah, that's, that's a like lot of steel. A, <laughs> that's like a, you know a pretty you know half sized jet that you've got flying. That's a lot of. Uh, just kinetic energy being dissipated once it crashes, right? Okay, I see we've got a new speaker up here, uh, Tactical. Tactical Osen, do you have something for us? Maybe not right now. Very well. Um, 
but yeah so so i what what i remember having read the um uh, some croatian media at the time uh was that the croatian minister of defense and the president of croatia went off then to um not to madrid but that um uh airbase that's close to madrid that kind of runs nato airspace for all of europe uh whatever it's called uh and and they were you know complaining at them for not having gotten jets up from croatia and hungary and romania uh when it came out uh and then they were considering asking for patriot missile systems deployment in in croatia because of that as well i think the president of croatia ended up visiting that base in in spain i'm just i think it's close to madrid i'm not sure where exactly it is um you might know which one i mean Gurney. the the giant giant base in the middle of spain somewhere uh, Dom, you're assuming that I've I've been deployed to Spain. I <laughs> I'm I'm not assuming you've been deployed anywhere. I'm just I'm just thinking that you might remember the name of of the very large base that's in the middle of Spain, um, the airbase, uh, the no, one with I, the the one I've, with the long runway that's used for diversions sometimes because it has a very long runway and it's kind of away from the actual airport. Yeah, no, air air wasn't my wheelhouse, so we'll have to get Colonel Jeff again to talk tonight. <laughs> about no, it's okay. That. It's it's um, it's the, it doesn't really matter. It's unless the there were a bunch of grunts space. there, I've probably never heard of it. I know, probably not. It's like the the Inchilik, but in Spain, it's like Aviano equivalent, but it's in Spain. I'm sure people can can look it up. Uh, maybe it's not active as an airbase anymore, to the same degree. Maybe it's just uh, it's more of just the air traffic control for NATO airspace, but. Whatever it is, it's the big one in Spain. Because I think there's only one. Um, so I think the the president ended up making a visit there to kind of see, you know, kind of make a statement that they messed up a little bit here. And what the real problem was, because it didn't crash in the middle of a field, it crashed about thirty meters away or thereabouts from a student dorm. Now, had it crashed thirty meters towards the student dorm, the uh, the six tons of steel, the six metric tons of steel going at what was about, you know, seven, many hundreds of miles an hour, that would have done a lot of damage because it buried itself probably 10, 12 meters underground, punctured the sewage pipe. There was a lot of complaints about, oh, the smell of ammonia in the air. There's no, 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 it's probably just hit a sewer pipe, right? Um, and there, there was some speculation that it might be a, you know, in, the, in the tabloids, there's some speculation, oh, this might be a chemical weapon of some sort. Maybe it was bringing ammonia. Um, but no, it didn't. It, I think it just punctured the sewage pipe, I think, probably, um, no. because it went so deep. Right? But if that had struck a building, that would have been a, a, a right mess. Uh, and there would have probably been several people dead, and that's why it was such a, such a big deal uh, for domestic politics as well, right? Yeah, I mean, and not to mention what you know, whatever amount of fuel it had left. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping, or I'm assuming the reason. I think it, it ran down, out. Yeah, I was going to say, the, I'm hoping the reason it was brought down, literally under its own accord, because it ran out. But you could imagine if that had, um, if that had uh, some fuel with it. No, it was right at the edge of. Uh, it was right at the edge um, of the uh, of the range. Um, now, the interesting thing was apparently. And so this is something I'm still really com- confused about. But apparently it had a bomb in it. 
and the, the Croatians said it was an aerial bomb, which probably means the sort of thing that you dropped off of planes back in the back in the day before you had missiles, right? Um, but the, the, there was a bomb, but it didn't have possibly any explosives in it. That there was just like the, the, the shell of an aerial bomb that was in the, the drone. It was very confusing. And I don't huh. think that ever got clarified, not publicly anyway. Well, we're going to have to tease the listeners with uh, Colonel Jeff, because I'm wondering if maybe there's some sort of uh, solid booster propellant in it. Like it, it looks like it, it runs um, as a regular jet, um, but I'm wondering if it, if it had some sort of uh, solid propellant booster. I think it launches off with a rocket of some sorts. Yeah, yeah. Well, it'd be interesting to see what, what actually happened versus <laughs> versus what they said well because quite interestingly all reporting on it kind of stopped at some point and just nothing else ever came out um and i found that very interesting maybe i missed something because after a bit i stopped following it uh because i don't really you know necessarily frequent uh that that those media outlets regularly but i know i thought it was very interesting in that respect well uh i uh, I'd have to run this past Wikipedia here, but while you were speaking, is it I've never been there? Is it Maron Air Base? Is that the one in Spain? Does that jog your memory, or that's not the right one? Can you say again? Maron. Maron. No, I don't think it's that. I think it's. Um, I can't remember. It doesn't matter. It's really whatever. It's it's not important. Um, okay, I I tried. So I tried down. No, thank you. Thank you for trying. Um, but it, it fundamentally it, it doesn't matter. It's there's a, it's I think they operate kind of like NORAD, but at a much smaller scale, but for European NATO airspace, something along those lines. Um, now, question: I'm I'm remembering this from earlier. Um, Dom, I'm not sure if you'll be on uh, in probably six hours from now. I will. Uh, be. Okay, so uh, so we may have a speaker. Um, I don't know if you saw the post uh, on there. Um, the gentleman, there was a gentleman, uh, a physician from Kazakhstan, uh, who had said he would like to join the panel or at least listen in and see if he can add and contribute. Uh, Jingyu had uh, mentioned him earlier today, uh, actually later today, um, when we had a, a discussion on Kazakhstan uh, with two different gentlemen but uh but that's something that's possibly upcoming if there's uh if there's time for it because uh he said at least he'll he'll be in the audience uh this scholar historian researcher uh who's from kazakhstan and has written on it and is now a physician in the states uh said he would visit us uh in about six hours time so just uh food for thought thank you yeah that's uh that's excellent um I'm, i'm looking forward to do that uh that's for sure um, in about six hours' time, you say. Okay, very good. So about about ten a.m. Eastern American time. Give, but, give or take. He he's uh, Jing said the gentleman was in Mountain Standard Time, uh, and that he devote you know his morning to. I'm assuming he's going to listen in for a little bit, uh, and then and then at some point he'll you know um, speak or or um, or if Jing comes up with him or or something like that. You know how it ends up working out. Absolutely. Absolutely no, that that's fantastic. Um, I will um, I'll, I'll message uh, one of our Kazakh speakers from who's in Europe from yesterday 
uh, who who came up yesterday to give us a bit of an update of what's going on between Kazakhstan and Russia as well. You know, maybe they can uh, between the the lot of them they can figure some stuff out. I think that'd be quite good. Um, Gurney, quick question from the audience. Uh, question literally says, can I ask what's kind of going on in the Black Sea? Just a very general update if possible. What do we know is going on in the Black Sea? What is speculated and we don't know what is going on? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, I think it's safe to say what we don't know is a lot more than what we do know. Um, And what we do know, just to to recap that, um, we know that there's been statements. We know that um, that Ukraine has made statements about um, uh, a strike on Snake Island. Uh, We don't know to what extent Um, we we haven't validated that or, or seen to what extent. Uh, and we also have heard, um, both from the Ukrainians or, or less, uh, official Ukrainians, but we've heard that there was, uh, through Aristovich, uh, and some others that there was a strike on the three oil rigs, uh, the, that are known as Boyko towers that was east of Snake Island. Uh, and we have, um, alleged responses from the Russians saying those were attacked as well. Um, so there's, so, so that's about the extent of it, meaning, uh, not much new information since last night or the, or the day prior to where we had heard. Um, I know people have been looking into it. There's, there's potentially firms data, there's potentially satellite data, though it's not conclusive yet that may show the three towers, the three oil rigs, um, they're, they're jack up oil rigs they're, they're basically floating oil rigs that can put their legs down. Um, there's potentially satellite data that, that might support that. But as of yet, um, there hasn't been any conclusive imagery yet. Um, you know, I don't think anyone has reason to doubt any of that. It's just very tough. And so obviously what preceded all of that, um, was the image that we have of the tug, um, being destroyed by two harpoons, uh, that the Ukrainians have stated they used. And then, you know, the Russian response saying they, they lost men and, and the tug. So that's about where it stands. Um, it's probably not that much different from maybe when your last shift was there. Uh, there, there's been much more chatter back and forth, but nothing, uh, conclusive to, to show. Thank you, Gurney. In other words, um, probably an oil or gas rig or maybe two of them got blown up. Yeah. Probably. Or, or, or nothing even, else is conclusive. Yeah. Or even allegedly up to, up to three of them. Um, so, yeah. So it's, it's sort of a wait and see, you know, what, what sort of, um, what sort of imagery starts to come out. And I, and I don't know, I don't think there's been a chance for some of the civilian satellite imagery to have uh, to have a go or a pass without you know spending twenty thousand to get the image, right? Um, and and those images we saw earlier today, or you know, yeah, earlier today, I guess that that applies to everyone. In the recent hours, those are all apparently from previous videos from the the strikes in May. So nothing, nothing current at all. Yeah, there was a a bit of a, a news blip there where it, it it looked like there was some new video out um, that had occurred yesterday or the day prior, um, but it looks it looks like it's um, that someone has recycled the old the old video from the airstrikes back in May. Right. Very well. Um, I'm sorry to to disappoint everyone who's listening who was hoping to wake up to. Uh... Uh, news of many things in the Black Sea haven't been blown up, including Snake Island. But well, it, I, 
Dom, I also think what complicated that was um, there were some reports uh, that that I think turned out to be um, not not factual either. But there were reports alleging that the entire Black Sea fleet had had left port, um, and that might have been more than twelve hours ago. But um, but that, I think that got everyone curious too, um, is like okay, you know, we'll we'll let's let's see what happens. Um, but most of that. Uh, turned out to to not have occurred, uh, or or if it did, it, it wasn't the entire fleet. It was more usual operations. But yeah, so so that that might have started the the you know uh, a bunch of interest on top of the oil towers. Yes, yes, and apparently all of those news, well, most of those news came from certain pro-Russian Telegram channels initially, and then just got regurgitated over and over again yesterday. So maybe there's something to it, but there's no no conclusive evidence in the public domain that there is anything to it. I think that's the that that's where we can draw the line. And I'll, I'll just note one of the other bits of news that came out yesterday. Um, some people, uh, probably not very good faith actors, saying that Ukraine is becoming becoming a totalitarian dictatorship because they have banned the opposition party, uh, not noting that a the party is run by Viktor Medvedchuk, who is, um, well, who was kind of handpicked by Putin to be installed as president of Ukraine after they had assassinated Zelensky. And B, the party has public, so members of the party have have actively on the television, on Russian television, advocated for dropping a nuclear bomb on Kiev. So, um, yeah, I, I I think in in most in most countries they would be you know prosecuted for God knows what right treason I guess something along those lines, uh, and not just uh, get banned from the political stage. There is no legitimacy in the party that suggests um, you know the the genocide of the people of the country it's supposed to represent. Um, so yeah, that's I'll 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 leave it at that. It's a it's a complete. Uh, uh, it's a it's a complete um, red herring that's being launched uh, into the into the media sphere, and then you have a alleged journalist saying that uh, Ukraine has banned the party. It, this isn't a democracy. How can they ban the political party? Well, do you know what? When they suggest that nuking the capital city of the country is a good idea, maybe they shouldn't be around anymore, um, and maybe they're not a legitimate political actor in the country, right, Axel? How should I confirm something which I barely heard? I'm I'm just saying that um, there's a lot of hot air being blown around, uh, complaints from various bad faith actors about how uh, Ukraine is no longer a democracy because they banned Viktor Medvedchuk's party, uh, some a party whose members, in among others, suggested on Russian television that Russia should drop a nuclear bomb. Okay. I think that either you forgot to unmute yourself or don't have an opportunity to talk, so I'll pass it off to Antti. Good morning, Antti. Good morning. So, um, how's things? Is there anything... Uh, I mean, I, I don't think I need to comment either on... I think the answer to your uh, question is rather self-evident. Yes, yes, it is. But uh, has there been any, any sort of... Uh, Interesting developments on the ground or uh, in the uh, high sphere of uh, diplomacy, or would you like, uh, you know, uh, any, do you have anything that you need commented on? 
So there's there's a few things that have happened. There's a lot of things that are alleged to have happened, but haven't actually happened. So a lot of stuff that's alleged to have to have happened in the Black Sea. Yeah, it was yeah, alleged that, that it will happen in the Black Sea yesterday, but then not much came out of it, or not much came off it at all. Um, in the more political sphere, the big things the last few days is uh, Lithuania stopping the the transit by train of certain goods through its territory from bulk Russia to Kaliningrad, uh, which the Russians uh, went into a frightful state of you know complaining and. Uh, throwing themselves on the floor and tantruming over, uh, even though apparently everybody knew this was going to happen because this was implemented in a sanctions package in March, and it was just going to kick in in mid-June, and then it did kick in, and then Russia said that Lithuania is violating all sorts of things that it apparently subscribed to, which they didn't because they're just following the rules that everybody knew that they would be following, or at least that everybody should have known that they would be following. The other big thing that happened, and, and actually Kaliningrad won't be short of anything as long as Russians can uh, get the logistics together to resupply them by ship because, you know, you can still go from St. Petersburg-ish area to Kaliningrad by by, by surface vessel and yeah. supply them with whatever they need because they have ports in both on both ends of that. Um, ad- additionally, there was some panic buying in Kaliningrad, uh, specifically of food, even though food isn't one of the things that are actually sanctioned by the sanctions. So it's perfectly fine for uh, Russians to move food to Kaliningrad by train through Lithuania, and yet there was massive panic buying of food. Additionally, there were some, I think, 60,000 Georgians in the streets of Tbilisi last night, um, you know, wanting to kind of get EU candidate status, among other. Uh, and not being terribly happy with the government over what the government has been saying with respect to Ukraine as well. Uh, now, interestingly, the European Commission and yesterday the president of the, of the European Council said that uh, all three countries, Moldova, Ukraine and Georgia, have an EU future. However, only two will be recommended for candidate status and the two do not include Georgia. So that's, I think that, that's quite notable. The reason why Georgia isn't um, being recommended, among other, is that the party in power that's been in power for something like a decade now is run by an oligarch who controls some insane proportion of wealth in Georgia. And that, that's, that's, not, that's not good. Um, yeah, right. It's it, and and they have actively been reversing reforms that were made under um, under previous governments as well. In better news, um, the uh, one of the main border crossings uh, at uh, between Poland and Ukraine is going to substantially increase capacity uh, because they're modernizing certain procedures. At that border crossing, it'll be a lot easier to get uh, stuff through at that border crossing between Poland and Ukraine. And that, that is incredibly, incredibly positive news, of course, for we have been Excellent. hearing of those queues of lorries, right? Um, and yeah. that, that, is, that is just absolutely fantastic. Um, I can't think of anything else uh, major that has happened. Right. And I've not, been, I've not been paying attention to the military stuff, to be quite honest. Uh, uh, has there been any new news from uh, Kazakhstan since yesterday? Not since yesterday. We will have a broader discussion of Kazakhstan in about six hours, I think, though. So that's, yeah, uh, I heard. Yeah, but to the best of my understanding, Kazakhstan is blocking many, some thousands of rail cars full of coal, 
uh, and Russia is blocking Kazakh oil from a pipeline. Um, yeah. So, so things definitely are heating up. Um, notably, I think as well, Kazakhstan is undergoing certain, let's say, changes to its political structure. Uh, and by political structure, I don't mean specific politicians, but but sort of the 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 rules under which. Uh, Kazakhstani politics and government work, and I think that might be quite notable um, in in the future. Yeah. So uh, I'm guessing there's there's been no. I mean, you you did mention that you haven't been following the military stuff, so I guess there's. But th- there is, I think, one one thing about uh, logistics that I I'd like to touch on, unless there's something else on your mind. Um, not particularly. So go right ahead. Right, so uh, the the conversations I've uh, I've listened to over the past past few days and uh, well, really the past few months, there's uh, I, the one of the things that we that's been popping up uh, now and again has been uh, not so much what Ukraine is asking for, but uh, whether or not they have the logistical capacity to actually uh, keep the flow of uh, goods moving to the front in the scale that uh, of the uh, equipment and uh, other uh, military aid that they are asking for and I, one thing that is often forgotten by people at least it's not uh, you know uh, given given airtime with with that uh, sort of argument that oh, oh we we sh- we shouldn't somehow give ukraine uh, all what it needs because the logistics couldn't just couldn't handle it I think one 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 thing that uh, should be noted about that uh, line of thought is that uh, just like uh, the number of uh, number and quality quality of uh, military aid, uh, logistics too is uh, is a matter of uh, challenges and finding solutions to those challenges. So, uh, granted, uh, logistical challenges often are more difficult to solve than just by send send more stuff. But uh, I think I, I mentioned already a couple of days ago that I, I am an engineer, as a couple of other speakers on this space have been. So uh, for for me, to pe- for people to use uh, insufficient logistics as a kind of, uh, ex- well, excuse might be a too strong a word, but kind of using that as a, as a reason why Ukraine shouldn't be provided with more assistance is is kind of a red herring because logistics is just a series of challenges that can be solved with enough will and resources. So uh, I think uh, even though I did hear that here that uh, one of the previous uh, lists of demands that, you know, a thousand Howard sirs and... Uh, and uh, that that kind of numbers. I mean, uh, even though it wasn't made by by a military official uh, from the Ukrainian side, I think that uh, it's just uh, considering uh, the amount of hardware that the Russians are using, uh, a thousand howitzers. Uh, even though that's a very large number that can't be readily supplied by European or uh, United States. Uh, stockpiles that uh, there would have to be a considerable ramping up of production at least as far as i know to uh, respond to that sort of demand 
it's there's this kind of same sort of feeling that I get when uh, like just when when the when the war was when the invasion had begun when the when we were having these concurrent discussions about what sort of aid Ukraine should be provided what do they re- need right now and uh, I kept hearing especially about the fighter jets that oh we can't you know we can't provide Ukraine with these fighter jets because they simply aren't in a position to use them and th- they need training and it's it needs a logistical uh support that simply can't be provided and uh, i think one of the timelines given was that okay well if we start doing all this stuff now it will take four months or six months for you know them to be able to operate operate new hardware in in the ukrainian airspace and lo and behold it's it's four months right about uh, when the war began so it's there there are considerations that seem reasonable at the time and uh, there were obvi- there was obviously a priority uh, to to certain articles especially early in the war of anti tank weapons and so forth but i i mean i i have had this discussion with uh, with axel previously that uh, there's in all likelihood there are things i mean there are things going on on the background that we simply don't have any knowledge of but uh, when these things are resolved like uh, with with fighter jets and some of the other heavier heavier equipment I, I think when we started discussing about HIMARS one of the things that came up over and over again is that when they do arrive in theater uh, it will be apparent when they are in theater are, and are being used so uh, I just hope that uh, some of the things that are being used as a kind of fallback to not provide aid or to make to have reasoning or not to provide enough aid. I just I just hope that with the uh, ramping up of uh, European and uh, U.S. military uh, production capabilities, uh, hopefully more that we are being made aware of that uh, these things will fall into place, that Ukraine will get everything it needs. I, I hope that was that was a bit of a rant, but I hope my my meaning was at least somewhat clear. Oh, was I it, think was it was it very clear? clear. I think it was very okay. clear. It's good, the, good. Yes, logistics are a problem, but they are not a problem that is without solutions or that cannot be solved if enough effort is yeah. put into it. And all of these arguments of, oh, this is going to take too long, this is going to take too long, have already been invalidated by the sheer fact that the war is still ongoing and that Ukraine is still holding strong. Is that yeah. a fair summary? Yeah. Thank you. This is, this is kind of my, my, my uh, job here, right, is to uh, uh, get even people who maybe missed out on a little bit because they're driving or distracted by someone in the middle to then know what's going on. Um, no, I completely agree, Antti. It is a problem for sure, but it isn't a pro- it, it isn't a uh, a terminal problem, I guess. Right? You can solve this problem. This isn't the sort of problem where you have to say, "Oh, we would have to I don't know turn off gravity to solve this problem." No, 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 no. This is a this is a problem that can be solved with more thinking and more trucks. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, just in the same way as the uh, as the logistics experts in in Poland. Uh, are solving uh, 
the uh, the issue with the transporting of grain and other Ukrainian export uh, articles uh, from getting them from the border to Polish and Lithuanian and other ports. Yes, exactly. So and yeah. And the, the other thing that maybe has to also be done is some paperwork be sorted out a little bit better, right? Uh, because yeah. apparently a lot of these queues at the border going both ways are because of kind of paper, a lot of paperwork still being concentrated at the border point instead of being done, you know, 30, 40, 50 kilometers either side of the border as well. And there is no reason why there should be a queue of lorries at the border. They should just all be driving straight through at this point. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. One thing, has to, one thing has to be noted, oh, just very briefly, Luis, please go after that, but um, one thing has to be noted. Whenever um, any kind of uh, relevant lethal supplies are en route, they are not stopped at the border. Just to make this very clear. Nobody should be under any misguided apprehension that uh, lethal aid is not coming through because it's held up at the border. That just doesn't exist. No, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's just all the other things that are important as well, right? Like fuel and food and all the other regular stuff that is taking longer than it should because there's there's really no reason to keep to keep holding it up or to, you know, unnecessarily process lorries for unnecessarily long. What what I'm kind of getting at is Europe hasn't bought into the fact that this is this is not just a Ukrainian war, that this is a European war, because had they done so, had Europe as a whole bought into the fact that this is indeed a, a, a European war, there would no longer be that border between Ukraine and Poland in the way that it currently is. Luis. Hey guys, good morning. <clears throat> good morning. I hope you you are good to mug, my friend. Uh, I hope you are all doing well. Um, I just popped in. I'm, I'm listening for a little bit now, and I just popped in because I uh, read yesterday something interesting regarding Kazakhstan. I don't know if it's a topic that you will discuss later on, but I thought it is uh, really important um, um, regarding some statements of uh, the president from Kazakhstan um, that... Uh, they will not uh, recognize uh, Donetsk and uh, uh, annexed uh, parts <clears throat> um, of Ukraine, Donetsk and Luhansk as uh, as um, own. Um, I'm missing the word. Uh, a republics, uh, and that's quite astonishing because it seems like Russia is losing uh, one of uh, their allies. Uh, most astonishing is also that um, uh, as he said it, it was in the presence of, of Putin uh, on that uh, summit that's going on in, in, in Russia and uh, I, I was quite shocked that uh, he said a few things, that there is more that uh, he said he said a few things that uh, one could understand as a slap in the face of Putin, uh, what uh, made me laugh a little bit. But uh, I, I think it will be uh, something that you will discuss later on, so I, I, I will come back later to, to listen to it. Oh, there's no reason why we can't talk about it now as well. Um, 
so there's a, there's a few factors, right? You, you talked about uh, what Tokayev said, and that's economic forum in St. Petersburg, uh, and saying it to Putin's face, importantly, right? Notably, Russia responded by kind of reiterating and maybe a bit more strongly than previously how uh, Putin thinks that Russia is the rightful uh, state to control all of historic Russian lands. It basically includes everywhere that the Soviet Union used to be, right? And possibly more anywhere that Imperial Russia was at some point, uh, which is insane, of course. I mean, it's it's a completely crazy notion. Um, but but nevertheless, that's, that's what the Kaev got back for his um, insubordination, so to speak. The other thing that is, that's important is that a couple weeks ago, Kazakhstan had a referendum, and it was a constitutional referendum changing a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of things about Kazakhstan. One of the things that it was changing was uh, the status of the parliament relative to the president, and making it to to the best of my understanding a less presidential system, um, and somehow a little bit more democratic if i understand it correctly i might have this a little bit often you know feel free to feel free to correct me um and then yesterday russia blocked or maybe the day before yesterday this one russia blocked the passage of kazakh oil through a pipeline that runs around the caspian sea apparently claiming that they discovered 50 world war ii era mines in the caspian sea that need to be demined, therefore the pipeline has to be shut down, which makes no sense because the pipeline doesn't go through the Caspian Sea. It goes, you know, some kilometers away from the Caspian Sea, uh, kind of around the northern shore of it. And then in retaliation, Kazakhstan basically blocked some thousands, I believe, of rail cars, of gondolas, full of uh, of Russian coal that's in, that are in Kazakhstan, or maybe coal heading to Russia or in Kazakhstan. Either way, um, there's a little bit of an economic tit for tat going on in Kazakhstan, in, uh, between Kazakhstan and Russia, and that is quite interesting, I would say. Um, especially since Kazakhstan is still a member of the CSTL, which is kind of the, the Russian, you know, Article 5 NATO equivalent organization that includes, among other, Belarus, Russia, Kazakhstan, Armenia, maybe I forgot someone else. Um, and notably, Kazakhstan outright refused participation under CSDO auspices when Russia went into Ukraine, saying that, well, Russia was the one starting it and, and not, um, uh, and not, uh, and wasn't actually attacked in the first place, so it doesn't apply. Right. Apparently, uh, I'm being corrected by Serhi from, from Ukraine that Kazakhstan is still super presidential, that those changes don't really mean much. Fair enough. Thanks, Serhi. Uh, good, to, good to be corrected. I'm always happy to be corrected on these things. Um, Luis, do you want to go first, or do you want Antti to go first? Uh, I just just wanted to uh, quick add that uh, I um, read the statements, and I, I thought two other statements were also very interesting because uh, he actually said that um, uh, China was a very important partner of Kazakhstan and. Um, or the most important partner of Kazakhstan. And uh, that was also very notably that uh, it is not Russia. And uh, he also said something like um, uh, regarding the sanctions that you cannot simply, um, uh, how do you say it? Um, 
make everything at home. Uh, I'm missing the word for it again. Uh, make everything at home and replace domestic production, import substitution. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, he, he was actually saying uh, this has to stop because um, if they are not able to replace everything uh, at home, so uh, I, I think it's absolutely like you said, a uh, in, very interesting situation, uh, and um, I'm I'm waiting for more more to come as do i as do i uh notably thanks Sergei. uh notably uh the the whole recognition thing isn't actually new kazakhstan never ne- never intended to recognize dpr lpr and other annexed territories by russia as independent republics or anything of the sorts uh it's just the difference is that he said it to putin's face basically and the- yeah i think uh well th- these are all positive news uh, the uh, the interesting thing is that uh, of course we uh, th- th- this might be so- something uh, similar to the effect that there have been there were these we- really weird statements by Lukashenko in the last couple of weeks that would uh, that so- somehow indicated that uh, he was trying to uh, acquire some sort of uh, foreign policy wiggle wiggle room even though there's you know like uh, even though Belarus is effectively under occupation by by Russia, but uh, Kazakhstan the situation is obviously a bit different there. But uh, the the real question mark that I think is uh, significant is that uh, uh, traditionally, as far as I know, there have been really really close ties between. Uh, uh, Kazakh military and the security services with with those of Russia and, and previously of, of the Soviet Union. I, I think CJ mentioned something to that effect that uh, he he made uh, he, he has some contacts, uh, at least previous contacts, with a number of Kazakh officers, and uh, apparently the uh, corporate cooperation between Russian and uh, Kazakh Kazakh militaries are is quite firmly rooted so I think uh, there is like uh, you could sort of divide this into three three different aspects there's the por- foreign policy department there's domestic policy and then there's the, the security security aspect and uh, we we do know that uh, Russia is not popular in, in Kazakhstan because uh, they have been uh, like uh, in in the very was it just just before this invasion began there was this uh, this uh, civil civil uh, disturbance or rather a, a full on revolt going on in Kazakhstan which uh, Russia helped helped put down and there there was a, also a previous similar uh, sort of uh, event. But that was already like maybe a decade or two ago. I don't remember precisely when it was uh, Domen. You you can probably uh, check that out pretty pretty easily. But but uh, it's it's hard to take these uh, these positive news at at face value because we know that there is so much else that needs to change for the facts of uh, Kazakhstan's situation to actually move it from a uh, from Russia's orbit at least. 
even even inches to to a more sort of a neutral or a pro european or pro western position because there's just so much that needs to change before that realistically happens but uh, it will be certainly i mean i'm look forward to if i if i can be online when uh, when the uh, when the gentleman from uh, from kazakhstan is uh, is coming on in a little under six hours that it'll be really interesting to see what he has to say and also to to follow how this uh, situation develops in the in the coming weeks oh absolutely absolutely um i think the it, it's all more about trends right even even when you see and especially perhaps when you see a country that is so tightly tied to russia that has notably its own very large uh, domestic russian speaking population right when you see a country like this um and a relatively small country when it comes to population right it's a it's very sparsely populated overall uh it would be relative it's much much less populated than russia when you see a country and landlocked on top of that when you see a country like that kind of um you know moving a little bit away from russia that's a that's a good move on the face of it right and i think that's what's kind of important and notable here no especially when you see more countries that were kind of closer to russia previously moving a little bit further away from russia that's i think that that's really good to see um yeah. it's all about those those trends let's say yeah and if it, especially like we are like we are looking for any any sort of positive signs you can you can uh, if you sort of put on a really really uh, feel good hat on then you can sort of try and see if, that there is that something has happened that the kind of the, the pendulum has swung enough in the correct direction that uh, some of these uh, countries with really close ties to Russia are starting to make in, start make these kind of inching away movements but uh, i mean it's just you you have to wait and see to kind of uh, see what what what's actually happened yes exactly exactly um you know observing countries like Kazakhstan like Kyrgyzstan like Armenia what what's going on in the, in those countries maybe you know Georgia notably right Georgia even though a large chunk of Georgia is occupied by Russia the recent, the current government has been you know trying to exercise some more so to speak with with Russia um and that's why those quite large protests last night in Tbilisi are so much more meaningful as well right there's i think there's there's lots of uh, lo- lots of things that are quite notable even even if none of them individually are a sea change right it's still good that lots of these little uh, pebbles making up the mosaic are changing color absolutely absolutely and i think with kazakhstan specifically right so i mean sergey notes that the bad thing that is that the kazakhstan moves away from russia it will likely move towards china but i i still think that that in a way signals something good right because kazakhstan moving away from russia even though it's moving towards china it also still means that it, it also almost indicates that china isn't exactly fully supportive of what russia is doing right otherwise moving from uh, um moving from uh, um um you know moving from russia to china would be kind of a non event if china wasn't moving away from russia itself right yeah So I'm just trying to get muddy up since we're talking about Kazakhstan a little bit. 
And whilst you do that, I, Omen, just very quickly, and um, before we go further into Kazakhstan, you mentioned that uh, we'll be talking about Kazakhstan later in the afternoon. Uh, will this be um, in this before the session with Sergei Sudani? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, this is this is what Gurney told me anyway. That about uh, early early morning, maybe about ten a.m. Eastern Standard Time or thereabouts. Uh, so, so yes, well, well before the session with Sergei Sulemny. At noon Eastern Standard Time, that is 6 p.m. Berlin, 7 p.m. Kiev, 5 p.m. London, uh, we will have Sergei Sulemny, who's a uh, German journalist, journalist, I guess you, could, you, you would say now, Axel, right? Uh, who specializes in uh, Ukraine, among other, uh, and, and especially the European attitudes to Ukraine and, and European politics relationship with Ukraine. Uh, he's been on the space of couple of times before, two times, maybe three times before. He is a fantastic speaker as well as a thoroughly, a thoroughly expert on the subject matter as well, right? Uh, we're very, we're looking very much forward to uh, to having him talk to us in about, let's call it seven hours time, seven hours, seven minutes from now. Um, thank you, Axel. Thanks, thanks for that reminder. That's uh, really good to keep at the front, forefront of our minds. Uh, and also welcome, Madi. Uh, we were just having a few questions uh, from a couple of speakers of, you know, what, what's going on between Kazakhstan and Russia. What is the significance of that referendum that happened a couple of weeks ago? Is does it really mean anything? Or um, and and how significant is this move of of Kazakhstan away from Russia? Does it go beyond the oil pipeline and the rail cars full of coal? Sure, I can chip in a bit. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, there was a referendum. Um... In the early June, uh, but the way I see it, it, and at least it's my opinion, it, it doesn't really change much in terms of the democratic situation within the country. Uh, it's more of a window dressing move, trying to uh, appease um, the population following the January events. Uh, so I wouldn't give too much significance to this. Uh, some of those changes might seem to be promising, but keep in mind that. One of the demands during the January protests among the among the people were uh, elections of the uh, local government officials. So that includes uh, governors and mayors, uh, because those are still appointed centrally. Uh, none of those requirements were satisfied, and no changes were introduced. Um, in terms of the most recent forum and what Takayev told in Putin's face, uh, I think I'm, I'm going to quickly talk about it maybe for the third or fourth time. Um, but most importantly, he officially did not recognize LPR and DNR. Uh, previously, Kazakhstan did not recognize those territories, but it was always done by the MFA, by the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Uh, it was never officially done by the presidents, and definitely not the presence of someone like Putin. Uh, he also told Putin uh, to stop trying to influence Ukraine's attempts to join the EU, uh, because uh, there's no way of stopping it. It should be taken as a given. Uh, he, uh, oh, going back to the uh, non-recognition of uh, LPR DNR, it's also worth noting that he also did not recognize Abkhazia and South, South Ossetia. That's another uh, Kremlin, uh, salami slicing uh, project by the Kremlin in Georgia. So he just uh, decided to uh, diss every single Kremlin project over the past uh, let's say 15 years um and he voiced his concerns or not even concerns he voiced his protests regarding 
the rhetoric that some of the government officials, that some of the journalists are using against Kazakhstan and Russia, uh, because there were some verbal attacks against the country over the past uh, few months, uh, because Kazakhstan did multiple things that did not really line up with the Kremlin policy. Uh, first off, obviously, Kazakhstan refused to join uh, Russia in this ridiculous war. Uh, also, Kazakhstan initially cancels all the par- parades for military parades for the May 9th. Um, there was a small one in the biggest city, uh, but it wasn't even a parade. It was more like a uh, civilian march commemorating the uh, those who fell in the war. Initially, everything was banned, but uh, they, they at least allowed that. So, But still, uh, some in Russia were not happy about it because they, they really want to see that ridiculous victory frenzy everywhere they want to have their influence in uh, because it lines up with their death cultish propaganda. Um, and on top of that, uh, Takayev refused to accept uh, a government award from Putin. Uh, and that award has serious imperial history, like starting from the 19th century, Order of Ale- Alexander Nevsky. It looks like a big cross um uh, Awards like that were not given out during the Soviet times, so that goes back into imperial times. Um, it's always funny to see how the Russians like to backtrack on uh, occasions like that. So they simply announced that they were not planning to award Takayev in the first place. Uh, so he couldn't refuse it. So following the the forum in St. Petersburg, uh, the, the Russians t- started to retaliate. There is a major pipeline. Um, going through Russia is called the Caspian um, Pipeline Consortium uh, or owned by the company called uh, Caspian Pipeline Consortium. So that pipeline stopped working because apparently um, there were mines discovered not far away from the port of Novorossiysk, uh, and that's one of the terminals of the pipeline. Uh, there were no updates as of now. I checked this morning uh, whether it's working or not, but it's very important for Kazakhstan because the country is landlocked. And this specific pipeline carries 80% of Kazakh oil um, to the international markets. So one other question that I tend to get, oh, I didn't mention the coal rail cars that Kazakhstan blocked in Kazakhstan because uh, that were destined for Russia, because there were a a lot of conflicting reports. Some say that those coal, uh, coal cars got stuck in Kazakhstan because the Kazakh authorities are not letting them out. And there were multiple reports saying that no such thing is happening. So I, to be honest, I'm not certain what's going on over there. Um, some other questions that I sometimes get uh, relate to Takayev's behavior, whether he's a hero or not. Um, but to be honest, um, it's hard to say. Just keep in mind, he's not exactly a democratically elected official. Um, he also is at least partially responsible for the civilian deaths uh, that occurred this past January of this year. Um, and he's not, he's not obviously crazy brave before telling Putin all those things. 